Welcome to Back to the Future, a limited podcast series where we speak to startups revving to go in a post-pandemic world. And today we have Liu Fengyuan, co-founder and CEO of Basis AI. Uh, Fengyuan was chief data scientist for the Singapore government where he built the GovTech data science team and led key projects for the Smart Nation initiative. He started Basis AI in 2018 uh, to help companies accelerate AI adoption, no matter which stage of the journey they are on. The company has received the backing of the likes of Sequoia and Temasek. In particular, Temasek's involvement is very interesting because Singapore's wealth firm uh, typically invests only in later stage companies and not startups that are just starting from scratch. So it speaks volumes about the trust that they have in Feng Yuan and his team. Now, Feng Yuan, thanks for joining us today. Uh, could you walk us through your professional journey, including your time perhaps in the Singapore government? I think it'd be interesting to hear about your key projects that you launched back in your days as a chief data scientist, for instance. Thanks, thanks for having me, uh, William, and um, you know, very glad to be on this podcast and to share a bit about, um, again, my, my journey to, to data science and AI and also a bit about the company that we've, uh, we've co-founded. Uh, you know, I, I started off working with the civil service after graduation, spent time you know, at the Ministry of Finance during the last kind of financial crisis in, in 2008. And a lot of my passion was how we could bring um, data science and a more data-driven approach to policymaking. You, you talk about, you know, whether you're running government policy, you're talking about running businesses, or you're running technology companies. Uh, I think everyone can agree that making better use of data and information is is very key uh, to to if running effective organizations. And and that has been my passion for for more than a decade. Uh, I started off uh, in some of the ministries as a kind of lapsed economist. You know, I was frustrated as an economist, you, you try and get 100 or 200 data points and try and draw a straight line through it. And uh, you try and draw some results, but, but often the, it, was, it was quite disappointing. And uh, sometime in 2011, I, I had the opportunity to be rotated to the Land Transport Authority, where we had uh, access to all the EasyLink uh, data. You know, uh, in Singapore, this is public transport trips on buses and trains. Uh, access to obviously GPS data on, on location of buses. And this was also a time when public transportation was facing a lot of overcrowding to the extent there was a huge political issue. And so, you know, a lot of my task was to use data for regulation. So how do we use data for infrastructure capacity planning? How often should the buses come? You know, where should you increase the frequency of buses? Uh, and, and to really use big data. And back then, almost 10 years ago, that was when data science first became a, a term. Uh, AI and machine learning wasn't a term that was used so much. That was more in the last three to four years. But uh, we were very effective in using data to, to decide, you know, almost in a, in a real-time basis, you know, where to add capacity, where the pain points are for, for public transportation. So I went from that to, to joining uh, GovTech as part of the Smart Nation initiative. And we had the good fortune of being given the mandate to hire a real crack team of data scientists and software engineers uh, into the Singapore government to do work on data science and AI for the public good. It was about how can we harness data to build better software, but uh, uh, generate better insights into um, the, the, the way we can deliver better services for citizens. So, you know, that was my career before I, I co-founded Basis AI with, with Linus and, and Sylvanas. And our mission at this point in time is how do we accelerate 
enterprises' adoption of, of AI? And how do we do so in a responsible way that's, that's well-governed? Because you can't just you know, adopt technology you know, and, and try to move fast and break things uh, without thinking about the right uh, governance processes for, for what is very powerful technology. And that, that's very much our, our mission of, of this startup. I see. Apart from the governance aspect, uh, there's a focus for you guys now. What, what would you say were some of the lessons that either you or the two co-founders uh, have learned along the way uh, for yourself in the government, but for your co-founders in you know, big names like Uber and Dropbox, I believe? Um, what are some of the lessons that we say um, that you guys bring forward uh, to Basis AI since you started about three years, three years ago? I think collectively what we've had a lot of experience uh, with is as data science and, and AI leaders really sitting between the, the management of uh, the, the enterprise, we're trying to drive business outcomes uh, and the technical engineering and data science teams. So what we have collectively seen is how you know, using data and using AI is really a, a, a complex exercise within an enterprise. It's not something that you leave with IT, it's not something that the business or strategy teams necessarily know how to execute on. Uh, and at some points now, increasingly, you're seeing risk and compliance and, and you know, starting to, to emerge as a, as a player. So I think a lot of enterprises fail or fall down when they try and use data and AI because it doesn't fit nicely uh, within the traditional organizational silos of, of IT or, or business. Uh, you know, one, one thing to, to remember about AI is that it's supposed to improve the way businesses make decisions. And that cuts to the core of, of the business teams. It's not just, uh, can I have more servers or compute my data faster, right? Which is squarely in the, in the realm of IT. And I, I think that's what we've realized that um, in a new era, a new age where companies are more digitally driven and data driven, you really need to rethink the way you're organizing your teams and the kind of skill sets that you have. And, and that's to some extent why we realize that, that there is a, a core set of capabilities that we can bring to the table to partner with enterprises as they're thinking about the digital or data transformation. So we're not just about selling software, it's really about how do you help your organization uh, be more data-driven in the way they make decisions. I see. You mentioned, um, you know, in terms of organizational structure, et cetera, I was just wondering, um, taking a step back a bit, uh, AI has captured the attention of corporate leaders for sure in the last few years. Do you think there's a better understanding now in terms of what AI can do in real life business settings among companies versus just a, you know, a very general big sense of promises that we, we saw earlier? I think there's a, there's a spectrum, right? And, and we are very convinced that in the last five years, the ability to, to have what are called machine learning systems that can learn from data, that can handle all forms of unstructured data. Um, the technology is, is there's a lot more powerful than before. I, I, I mean, you think about the use cases that you see in consumer technology, right? Uh, how you can speak to, to you know, your, your, your Google Assistant, right? And that translates the, the waveforms from your speech into a set of instructions. You look at how you know, Google can auto-complete your sentences. That's called natural language processing, being able to process unstructured textual data. You look at facial recognition and video analytics that's taking unstructured uh, video streams and you know, converting that into data that can be handled. So you can think about AI as opening up the universe of what is tractable data. In the past, tractable data was only data that you could fit into a spreadsheet, right? Mm -hmm. and, and nowadays, uh, all these forms of information uh, can be processed. 
And so to, if I really want to simplify a lot of these AI techniques, it's being able to compute or, or convert speech, even video streams into uh, an array of numbers, right? And the moment you can convert this into an array of numbers, computers can then process it, right? And, and then these, these numbers can be fit into to very sophisticated AI algorithms. So, so I think that, that the power of what uh, AI can do is, is, is really there. Um, I think the search for, for applications, the search for where AI can really enhance your customer's experience, improve productivity, is something that will be an ongoing process. It's, it's, it's a very powerful, but fairly generic technology. And it's not something you can just, you know, sprinkle a bit of AI and then magic happens, right? Um, because and I think it doesn't help that the popular mythology has given you this idea of a sentient being. Uh, consciousness, a Terminator, or, or or robots, or aliens, and 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 consciousness, and I think that's a real distraction. I, I think you know sometimes you see all these media articles about a Turing test. You know, can the AI fool the human being? Why does it matter whether the AI can fool the human being? It, it's just a very powerful calculator, uh, right? That that improves your business outcomes, right? It doesn't matter to me whether the the AI can fool an, another human being, uh, and and I think. Uh, it's it's important to see these new technologies and and see through what they can do and, and where they can be truly effective for your business, uh, rather than being too enamored with the with the, the the fantasy or the or the entertainment side of of AI. I see. Thanks for sketching that out. The, the fantasy side is definitely you know interesting with all the like you said the popular mythology surrounding terminator-like creature but uh, you know zooming and zooming in on your company basis AI. i know the fundamental system is a lot more i would say solid uh, solidly named as well uh, bedrock right the system is called bedrock could you could you walk us through what it's all about and how it differs from other offerings out there i think from the website it looks like uh, you guys as you mentioned as well earlier focus a lot on uh, governance focus a lot on control of data and also the underlying algorithm mm -hmm. So I, I don't want to get too technical here, but uh, one of the things we're trying to do is provide enterprises the foundations to be a lot more data-driven, a lot more AI-driven. And our Bitrock platform is really, you can think about it like an operating system. So it's like Windows or iOS. Um, and we are building the operating system, which is, which is cloud-based, uh, rather than you know, building the killer applications itself. So what we're interested in is saying, hey, if you're a, a bank or you're an insurance company, and you want to use AI for all sorts of applications. So you want one AI application to do credit scoring. You want another one to do fraud detection. You need another one to predict your balance sheet. Uh, you want a fifth one to, to, to maybe personalize recommendations to your customers. All these applications need to be developed on top of a really solid operating system. And what this operating system does is it makes it a lot easier for you to uh, put these applications into real, real world production. So how do you make sure that every time you go on the mobile app, right, there's an AI you know, application powering that decision, uh, it turns out that that's a very complex process. And my co-founders have seen that done at the likes of, again, Dropbox and Twitter and Uber, and, and you need you know, very, very capable teams to do that. With our better operating system, we reduce the time and the complexity needed to launch these AI applications. And then the second thing is obviously, you know, your, your operating system also puts in place good governance. It makes sure that you know when somebody launches a new app on your mobile phone, it can't take data from the other app, right? It makes sure that you know you, you, your application 
um, developers aren't allowed to turn on the, the camera or the, or the microphone when they're, when they're not supposed to. So in the same way, uh, with our bedrock operating system, we're tracking all these AI applications built on top of this, and we can open up the black box. We can log information about how they're treating men and women or people of different races so that we can ensure that there's no unintended bias uh, with the applications that you're building on top of the bedrock operating system. So, so that's kind of the, the intuition behind what, uh, what Bitrock is, is doing. I see. Now, moving on, I, I think, um, you know, basis AI in terms of the business itself, I think um, you guys aim to provide a quick rollout AI programs, I think, uh, to deliver outputs to clients within months. Uh, on the flip side, also aims to customize the solutions quite a bit, depending on exactly what the clients need. So, you know, um, from a layman like myself, how, how do you and the team achieve the right balance of speed and customization at the same time? I mean, obviously a lot of things can be bought off the shelf, uh, you know, today, but mm -hmm. having that customized, uh, you know, um, help from you guys, how, how do you achieve that for, for clients? Yeah, I think the one thing to remember with AI and machine learning systems is that they can learn over time from data, which means that they're more evolutionary and they're more adaptive, right? As you have more data being fed into the systems that, are, that is contextualized to your company's need, then the more effective that's going to be. There is a bit of a myth that if I just have more and more data, the AI is going to get better. I like to say it's about more and more relevant data. Mm. Because if you're training the data on you know, a facial recognition uh, a software on human beings, it's not going to work well on, on other animals or elephants. Right? Uh, it might work decently well, but, but, but not so well. Um, and so what's more important is it turns out you can use a starting template right of an ai system and over time as you train it and, and at the beginning it might not be the most accurate maybe it's only 50 percent accurate but as you run it on on your customers and using it to run predictions and you get feedback you know hey is the ai working better or well or not you can get the ai to learn and improve its accuracy over time uh, in a way that's more contextualized to your business environment your customer behaviors right and and i think that's a lot of how we think about bridging this gap between speed as well as customization. And it really plays to the nature of the way uh, AI systems work. Okay. So once you get the ball rolling, the, the ball itself, you know, essentially, you know, uh, gets better at rolling Learning. even further. Yeah, it's, okay. yeah. I see. Okay. Exactly. Now we've, we've talked in terms of basically fairly uh, high level conceptual stuff. I was just wondering if you could add some uh, concrete examples in terms of what we've talked so, about so far, could you share with us, for instance, one or two actual use cases of your clients, uh, how engaging your company has helped them improve their bottom line? Mm -hmm. I'll give you two examples. So one is in the area of dynamic pricing. So if you think about uh, how ride-hailing companies like Uber, where one of my co-founders used to work, really revolutionized the way you think about pricing for, for taxis and, and, and rides, right? You have the idea of surge pricing. And again, you can, you can also do the same, right, in, in other contexts. So we're working with a low-cost uh, uh, carrier kind of airline, even, you know, pre-COVID, to look at a much more um, dynamic and customized way of pricing uh, seats um, uh, on low-cost carrier. And also to, uh, as more companies are unbundling their services, right, to also recommend an upsell of, you know, not just seats, but um, uh, looking at, uh, uh, you know, maybe a meal upgrades or, or seat upgrades, right, together with that. So you can think about how um, pricing obviously hits the, you know, the revenues and the top line kind of immediately, but you can see how this can be applied to, for example, uh, foreign exchange pricing, 
Mm. If I go on a mobile app and I want to trade foreign exchange, there's no reason why everyone needs to see, see the same price. If I'm more loyal customer or um, you know, it's a different kind of transaction and the conditions are different, you could uh, recommend a different uh, price to each customer. And you want to do this in real time, right? You, you can't wait for, for a human being to, to quote the price. You, you want the AI uh, algorithm to, 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 to surface that price immediately. Uh, another example of a piece of work we did uh, or we're doing currently is uh, really looking at helping with deal origination. So investment banking team trying to look for potential deals um, and they're trying to scour um, Refinitiv and Bloomberg feeds. Right? So it requires us to take in these Refinitiv feeds, look for, look, use natural language processing to um, find you know, companies that are in a particular situation where they're good potential customers. Uh, so that's one use of AI. And the other aspect is also to mine information from the annual reports. And annual report data, as you know, is not always structured. They've got some cool designer to design the tables in a creative format, but it makes it very hard to extract. Usually you have a human being looking at it and we use AI to extract the relevant information from the annual reports, combining that with the results of an AI working on the definitive data uh, to give a complete picture of which types of organizations may be uh, potentially good targets uh, for the sales team to reach out to. So again, this is really helping with uh, the sales funnel and the sales process and generating kind of new business. So those are just two examples of, of some of the work that we've um, we've been working on. Interesting. Uh, thanks for putting uh, meat to the bone of you know make things more concrete. Uh, you mentioned you know airlines and all that. So on that topic, related topic, um, pandemic. Uh, how has the pandemic impacted your business? I mentioned that for a lot of companies, you know, battling the gyrations of pandemic ups and downs. I think uh, budget concerns obviously have as uh, the forefront. Uh, probably some concerns of uh, engaging in big projects and you know engaging uh, consultants like yourself effectively. Well, um, is that true, or is that you know also opening up some new opportunities for you guys? No, I, I think during the when COVID first hit, I think all businesses are really thinking about business continuity, right? There, there's no or very little appetite to, to really think about uh, something new, right? Uh, and it's just in, in a crisis management mode. So that's what we saw in, you know, um, kind of last year, you know, first half of last year, even feeding into uh, second half of last year. And then, you know, with Singapore, as kind of circuit breaker lifted, you were able to meet people in, in, in person, I think things started to, to move. And then this year, I think people are seeing kind of the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. And they're thinking, hey, you know, what does the new world look like? Uh, with some industries, they've, they've had to make very painful decisions to um, streamline their workforce. Uh, and then they're really saying, hey, you know, as, as things pick up, uh, do we want to go back to the old way of doing things or do we want to use technology to allow us to scale when things um, get better? And in that situation, they're trying to lay the right technological foundations uh, to, to build a more scalable business. So I think... Um, there, there are, I think, a lot of um, companies who are thinking harder about digitization. And those companies that have digitized and accelerating that digitization, the next phase is how do I harness that data and that intelligence uh, building on top of digitization. And that's where we're seeing a lot of interest in uh, machine learning and, and AI uh, from that. Uh, so I, I, I think I think anytime there's disruption, there's impetus for change, that's always good for technology companies and for startups. Mm -hmm, interesting. I just want one last question from you in the interest of time uh, on the issue of talent. 
between you and the two co-founders, you must have managed top top echelons of ta talents in data science field before. Well, from what I've heard, it's still not easy to find excellent data scientists. Even though obviously training programs are catching up, schools are trying to catch up to the need. Now, what does it take to be a great data scientist in your experience? And what does it take for a company like yourself to, to retain talent in this field? You know, a lot of uh, companies come to me and say, hey, there's a shortage of talent. Uh, I think that's true generally, right? Whatever kind of talent you're, you're looking for. But uh, when I'm being a bit controversial, I always ask, you know, when you're trying to hire people um, and you can't find the good talent, where is the source of the problem? Is, is, it, is, it, is it a lack of talent or is it the way you're hiring? Uh, do you know what you're hiring for, right? Uh, do your job descriptions actually reveal that you have no idea what, what role you're hiring for and maybe you're hiring for uh, the kind of person that doesn't exist, right? Um, and I think the problem with, with uh, technology sometimes is to a lot of the business owners, hey, this is a technical guy, but what kind of technical guy do you really need? Do you really need a data scientist? Do you need a data engineer? Do you need an AI scientist? Do you need a cloud infrastructure engineer? Um, and sometimes a lot of the um, uh, organizations I speak to don't have a clear view about, about the type of skills that they need. And part of this is because just the technology is evolving so quickly. So mm -hmm. these terms sometimes don't mean uh, anything. And, and I've interviewed data scientists who, who are either, who used to be data analysts, uh, who have a kind of title inflation, uh, or they could be very good uh, people who understand econometrics, who understand statistics, who have very sound algorithmic background from academia, and who are very different from software engineers who can handle these big data systems to support the data scientists. Right? So there are whole, uh, unfortunately, the, the industry has too much jargon and too many different uh, terminologies. Um, and so I think it's important to really figure out what you're trying to hire for. And then, and then you find that if you assemble the right teams, uh, that's the best way to be, to be effective. The type of data scientist who works at Google is probably a bad fit for you if you're you're running a bank in the in the region, right? Uh, uh, it's it's yeah. So 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 I think I, I think uh, I can talk for for a long time about this, but I, I think there's the, my my honest answer is there's always lack of talent, but I think if you're clear about the mission and the skills that you need, um, there's always ways I think to to find the right people to make your business more effective using uh, digital and data technologies. Thank you for that. Hopefully someday, you know, companies like Basis AI can help companies around the world um, find the right fit without going through, you know, while, while, while controlling for all this so-called um, inflation of job titles, etc. Thank you for that, Feng Yuan. On that note, uh, thank you again for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that was Liu Feng Yuan of Basis AI. He has shared how he went from launching new digital initiatives as Singapore government's chief data scientist to now building his own startup to help companies adopt AI techniques in their day-to-day -day operations. That concludes the last episode of our Back to Future podcast series. Thank you for your time and support. We hope you've enjoyed the conversations as much as we did. We're grateful for the opportunity to hear some interesting perspectives from different sectors, ranging from something as fundamental as food and beverage to the cutting-edge areas such as AI and cryptocurrency. We spoke to founders as young as those in their 20s, but also heard from those who have taken the plunge only after decades of experience in more established firms. Shows that when it comes to startups, there is indeed no one-size-fits-all. There is one common thing, however, that we, com uh, we notice along the way. That's the mentality that these founders have. No matter how challenging it feels now because of the pandemic, there exists 
an opportunity out there for somebody to tap into. It's not going to be easy, but it's there. Now, as various countries in the ASEAN region stare at another wave of attacks by the pandemic, we hope that lesson offers us some comfort. Thank you again. Stay safe. Till next time. This has been a podcast from OCBC Bank. Follow us on Spotify for more episodes like the one you've just heard.